Starting with verse 1, and by the way, if you don't have demons and to cure diseases, he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He said to them, take nothing for the journey, neither staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money. Do not have two tunics apiece. Whatever house you enter, stay there. And from there depart. And whoever will not receive you when you go out of the city, shake off the very dust of your feet as a testimony against them. So he departed and went through the towns. So they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was done by him, and he was perplexed, because it was said by some that John had risen from the dead, and some that Elijah had appeared. By others, one of the old prophets had risen again. And Herod said, John, I have beheaded. But who is this of whom I hear such things? So he sought to see him. You may be seated. There's two passages um, that we'll look at in the next, you know, several weeks out we'll get to the next one, where Jesus sends out his disciples. There's the sending of the twelve, and you'll also recall maybe from either other places you've gone or in your own reading of God's Word, there's the sending of the 70. Uh, And in both cases, Jesus sends them out with specific authority, with specific power, and he is sending them out into these towns to go into. If you're taking notes this morning, I've titled our time in God's Word, Sent with a Message. Sent with a Message. And we'll look at three things from the text, as is my custom. Uh, first, the empowerment. Secondly, the engagement. And third, the end results. First, the empowerment. Secondly, the engagement. And thirdly, the end results. Jesus gathers them together. They've just seen him uh, pour out his power in a number of places. Just recently, as, he, as you saw in chapter 8, if you're with us, he actually raised a little girl from the dead. Cast out demons from the man of Gadara. He's healed Jairus's daughter. Well, that's the daughter he rose from the dead, but he also healed the woman with the issue of blood of 12 months. They've seen Jesus do many things. But you know what? Jesus is always the one that does it, but he wants you and I to experience part of the miracle. He wants you and I to be part of touching people's lives. He wants you and I. Now, why does he want that? I don't know all the reasons he wants that. I don't even know why he chose us for salvation. He chose us, and we also chose him, but he chose us first, didn't he? He came first to us. I I certainly wasn't seeking him when I was living in Miami, Florida in the early 90s. I was doing anything but seeking the Lord. But thankfully, God sent other people out seeking me. I was invited to a church service just like you guys. I was, still in my, I was still in college, invited by somebody. See, God uses people just like you and I to reach people, even though he doesn't need to use us. He could send angels. He could just speak from heaven. Uh, it, it struck me, you know, we're in the last days. And before the flood, you realize that before the flood, before that destruction of the earth that Jesus says a second destruction is coming by fire by the end of the age, but the first time was by water. Do you realize that all the world knew God existed at that time? Many people even knew Adam. He lived over 900, you know, he lived a long time, you know, 900 some years on earth. And many people, they, everyone knew God existed, but they rejected God. And yet God still used people like Noah, to reach out to people, didn't he? People to reach out to people. Even though everyone knew God existed, he still used people, and he still uses people, and he still not only has he saved us, but he saved us to enter into his work, enter into his same work. So he sends the disciples. This is uh, They've been going through a lot of training. If you're here with Sam Nadler, uh, when he spoke, remember he talked about, you know, this is the huddle. Out there's the game, right? This is the huddle. We're in the, we're in the locker room. But Jesus is now, he's been training them for a while, and guess what they now get to do? The preseason games are over. Now you're going to go out there and do the things that I've been doing. 
Well, you've got no shot unless Jesus is with you to do these things. Casting out demons, healing people, preaching the gospel with power. But let's look at what the Lord does here. Let's first look at these first few verses, verse one, uh, verses 1 through 3, the empowerment. And he called the 12 disciples together. He calls them together, and it says that he gave them power and authority. Power and authority. When God gives you power and authority, you can get things done. Amen? God will get things done. You don't really need the approval of man. You just need the approval of God, the commandments of God. He gives them power and authority over demons, to cure diseases, and to preach the kingdom of God, and to heal the sick. To preach the kingdom of God. And it also goes on to say they were preaching the gospel in verse 6, which is the kingdom of God. As a parent, let's say you have a teen that drives. I don't have any teens that drive yet. My daughter turns four, my oldest daughter turns 14 next month, but we're still a ways away from driving, which my insurance bill is thankful for and everything else that goes along with it. But say you have a teen that drives, and some of you have teens that drive, uh, and, and you're sending them to the grocery store. Nothing could possibly go wrong, right? You're sending them to the grocery store. Anyway, you give them the keys, you give them the car, you give them the grocery list, you give them the money, and you give them the responsibility, and you've given them the empowerment to accomplish what you've asked them to do. You said, here's everything you need. The money, the keys, the car, there's gas in the car, you have a lot of time, go get everything on the list. You've even given them some leeway. You've even given them some leeway in case they're sold out of Betty Crocker, you are empowered to get Pillsbury or Duncan Hines. Doesn't have to be Betty Crocker. If they don't have that, you can get some of these other things. Uh, those are fine, too. So you've built in some flexibility, but the essence of the task remains the same. True? The task is still the same, even though there's some built-in flexibility without empowerment. Or let's say you're an employer. And you've given your employees all the tools. You've given them the budget. You've given them the equipment, the vehicle, anything that they need, depending on the nature of the vocation or work, anything they need for the assignment to be complete. And you've let them know the various scenarios uh, that can cause the job assignment. Hey, it's going to be anywhere from two hours to four hours, depending on these things. And even though as parents or as an employer... You may fully supply and you may fully empower someone and prepare them to accomplish the job. You've let them know these things that they need to do and you've given them everything that they need to get it done, but you still, and I still, none of us can actually still guarantee the results, can we? We can't control variables like traffic. Weather, flat tires, and many, many other things, right? So we, we can give someone the empowerment, we can give someone the resources, we can give someone the, the command or the task, and yet we still can't guarantee the results. But with God, He not only empowers us, but He guarantees the results. Isn't that great? He gives us not only what to do, and he gives us the means to do it, but he also guarantees the results just to simply represent him, just to go represent him with his message, not our own, with his message, and he guarantees his own results. In Isaiah 55, verse 11, a wonderful passage in Scripture, the prophet writes, of the Lord, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing in which it was sent. Now, Jeremiah writing what God, I mean, Isaiah writing what God said there, that God says, My word will accomplish, it will accomplish what I please, and it will prosper. 
Isn't that great? You know, the Bible says it never returns void. You go to a village and share the gospel, it's not going to return void. The results are guaranteed. It never really falls, in a sense, on deaf ears because God says wherever it falls, it's going to accomplish what he pleases. In Acts 1.8, a pivotal passage in all of Scripture, it's one that I remind myself of on a regular basis, one that you should remind yourself of on a regular basis. It was just before uh, Jesus ascended back into heaven, and of course there's a 10-day waiting period there, and then comes Pentecost where the Holy Spirit falls upon the early church and they receive the power. But Jesus said this, he said, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you And you shall be what? Witnesses. Witnesses. The power of God was always going to be given, whether it was back to Noah, whether it was to Elijah, whether it was to Isaiah, whether it was to David, and then with the coming of the Holy Spirit and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the giving of God's power pre-Pentecost, post-Pentecost, was always that you and I would be faithful witnesses. And he goes on to say, witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and the end of the earth. Now, he's empowered them. He's telling them, I'm going to give you my power and authority. You're going to have a very special power and authority. The apostles, and not just the apostles, some of the early Testament church, the New Testament church, were sometimes given by the Lord Jesus incredible powers that I've never possessed. Have any of you ever been able to just walk down the street and start healing people, right and left? That's how you know the faith healers on TV are not like the apostles. Because if they were, they would not be saying, come to the Colosseum, and it's a $20 entry fee. They would instead be down at the VCU Medical Center walking the wards just healing people right and left. Because the apostles went to where sick people were, not said, I hope your family can drive you here in your wheelchair tonight because we're going to do a special healing service. The healers that Jesus anoints here, they go out with the power of the Holy Spirit to just clear villages of sick people. Isn't that amazing? Now, God can still do that today. And I believe he has given, even in our times today, there has been times where he's anointed people with healing. I don't believe that these things are over. I'm just saying that when God gives you a certain type of anointing or authority, it will be evident because you will not have to manipulate. You'll actually be able to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. But the one thing we know for certain is he's given us all. We pray for healing. We've got people in this church that you know we are praying for miracles. We believe God can heal them. I believe with all my heart that God can heal them. Do I have my doubts at times? Sure I do. But I cling to faith that God can heal them, and we pray for their healing not because of anything you and I can do, but because of the power of the Holy Spirit. But it's the same when we witness for Christ. I can't guarantee that if I share the Lord with someone, nor can you, that they're any more going to get saved any more than when I pray over someone that they'll be healed. But I know that the power of Jesus can do it. And that's what we bring. That's what the apostles bring. What are they to bring? Well, look at the text. What are they actually to bring? And Jesus said to them, take nothing for the journey. What? No food? No money? Not an extra change of clothes? Absolutely nothing. Jesus says, take nothing. Nothing but the power and authority I'm sending you in. That's it. You're not to take anything else, he tells them. You're taking nothing but my power, my authority, my gospel. Well, who alone has the power over sin? Who alone has the power over demons? Who alone has the power over disease? Jesus, Yeshua, the Messiah, the healer, the great physician. He's the only one that has the power over these things. We've seen him, as I mentioned, just in back in chapter 8, exercise that of power exercise that authority. The demons knew he had the authority. They begged him, don't throw us into the abyss. The disciples knew he has the authority. They knew he had the power over death. He raised a little girl. He had the authority. They knew he could cleanse the man, clothed in his right mind, no longer in sin, but now walking in the purity of the Lord. He could send that man out to be the first evangelist in the 10-city region of Decapolis. 
They see with their own eyes. Jesus had that authority, and he's sending them out. See, we never go alone. Yes, as we talked about worship, it's nice when God picks us up and we kind of sense his presence. But even when you don't sense his presence, he's still there. Amen? He said in Matthew 28, 20, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. There's times where I feel like God is not beside me. Times where you felt that God is beside me. Guess what? He's not only, if you're saved, he's not only beside you, he's in you. We don't walk by feelings. We walk by faith. The disciples are going to go out. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be a bed of roses to go out with no money, no change of clothes, no staff, nothing to eat. How in the world is this going to work? Yeah, he did great things when he was with us, but if I don't feel him right beside me, how do I know this is going to work? And you and I had the same thing sometimes. I, I think it worked for uh, George Mueller. I think it worked for Hudson Taylor. I think it worked for Fanny Crosby. I think it worked for Billy Graham, but I'm not sure about me. I'm with you until the end of the age. You can put that in your Bible. You put your name. We can't save anyone. We can't heal anyone. We can't cast demons out of anyone. But the living Christ in us and in the disciples can and does. Boy, if I had to live the Christian life and be a husband and be a father and be a pastor based on anything about me, I'd have given up a long time ago because I see enough flaws, failures, and holes to know this is, this is headed for disaster. But God has us, amen? And if he sends you on the commission, the results are guaranteed by him. We'll look at that as we close. But uh, we, what do we need to do, though? When Jesus sends us out, what do we need to be doing? He sends us out. We have nothing. We have nothing to bring to the table. He tells us to bring nothing. We have nothing to bring to the table. We're to pray over things. First thing to do, pray. Lord, worship him. I need your help. I need your help. By the way, I need your help. Pray. We need to then just go. There's many times, I was talking to one of the brothers this week about uh, when, we go, uh, when we go to Bonaire and he was telling me how uh, not long ago he felt really ill and he just, uh, um, he wasn't sure that he was even going to be able to go that night, but he decided to go anyway. I said, you know what? You've done something many Christians don't do. They get a little bit of resistance from the enemy. They don't feel, so, and they're like, well, I guess I'm supposed to stay home. Many times, I've had those things happen too, where I didn't have the option of staying, and that's when I got to see God's power. Because then I went, and all of a sudden, as soon as I get there, it's gone. And he had that happen. He was completely touched. had no sickness. He didn't know, what was that? I said, that's just an, an attack on the body. Satan will do that to intimidate us and f- cause us to fear. So we start in prayer, and then we just go. Worst case scenario, I said, hey, when it comes to Bonaire, here, what's the worst thing that can happen? Turn around and drive back home. Right? Just turn around and drive back home. But by the way, God hardly ever lets that happen with me. Usually if I get there, it's almost a done deal that everything's going to... And so he sends us, pray over it, then go. We preach in his power. We teach in his power. We counsel, but we have to be in prayer. We have to have the word of God in us. And then he sends us out. That's why what we're doing here is training to go out and do these things. But we do all these things. We plead with people in the name of Jesus. There truly is, there truly is, and you and I forget it, I know I do, there truly is power in the name of Jesus. We don't use his name. Now, the world uses his name as a swear word a lot. We need to use his name more often and invoke it in conversations because there really is power in his name. Used correctly, there is power in the name of of Jesus. Do you believe that? Paul wrote in Philippians 2 9, therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. Used under the guidance of the Spirit, God will use the name of Christ to do great things. Now, this third verse where it says, and he said to them, Take nothing for the journey, neither staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, not even two tunics apiece. This third verse, I got to tell you, this verse spoke 
mightily to me back in June of 2012 when the Lord moved me uh, to leave the business world and to take a step of faith as a full-time pastor. June of 2012. Now, I had been pastoring the church for five, six years prior to that. I think six years prior to that, bivocationally. But I, um, I knew God was phasing me out, fading me out of that past season of, of, of a life of serving the Lord in the business world. And I had a plan. Does anyone else ever have a plan? Your plan? And I had a plan of how much I wanted in savings, how much I had, how much uh, safety, this would take care of this, this. here, And I had all the dates lined up. And the, you ever play Jenga and one little thing comes out? You know, you've got the whole, all of them stacked up real good, and you've got it perfectly, and then someone pulls the wrong one. That's kind of how my plan went. And God says, I know you've got it architected. And then I was like, Lord, if I know... Be, be, be very careful what you pray for, because God's liable to answer it. I said, Lord, if you really want me to leave, I need you to show me a verse. And I did the old, just open the Bible. And when my finger hit, this is the verse that hit, and take nothing for the journey. <laughs> neither, neither staffs, nor bag, nor laptop, nor money, or whatever else it said. And that's what it said to me. And I wrote it. It's, you can look at my Bible. It's written right here, June 2012. And I have something else in parentheses. I won't read that. But it was just the Lord speaking to me. It's not bad. It's just personal. But I'd still let you read it. It's not a big deal. But the Lord had me turn to that verse, and it spoke to me. And he said, I'm sending you out because the message, the days are short. The time is coming. It's time for you to leave the training field and go into the actual field to work and do these things. Even though I was already doing, even though the disciples were already working for the Lord, I was already working for the Lord. You're already working for the Lord. But the next step, God says, is you're going to have to go and you're not going to have every single thing that you think. Yeah, it'll scare you a little bit. But what's neat, what, what keeps you from being afraid is when you know the Holy Spirit says, I got your back. Why would God send us to something that he can't guarantee the results of? Amen? So he does. Don't trust in what you think you have or what you think you need. You and I have to trust in him alone and just go and do the things that he's told us to do. Now, I also think there's a warning here and an encouragement. There's a warning and an encouragement here that it's the words of Christ and the will of Christ plus nothing that we go into the world with. Did you catch that? It's the words of Christ and the will of Christ, plus nothing else, that we go to touch lives in Chesterfield County, Richmond, Henrico, India, the uttermost parts of the world. There's nothing else that we add to it. In other words, the methods of man will never make the gospel more authoritative and more powerful. And by the way, it'll never make it more attractive when you make the gospel overly attractive, you no longer have the gospel. Does that make sense? If I try and tell you, I have created a diet you're going to love because I've removed all of the healthy components, how in the world is that going to help anybody? You could win anybody to that kind of diet, right? But if we all said, no, no, we have to eat more spinach, we have to eat more healthy stuff, there's no substitute for the real thing. And so Jesus I'm sending you out, you take nothing with it, don't add the methods of man. We want to use the resources God's given us, and he has given us resources. This building, we're, we're in prayer this morning, thanking the Lord for the building he's given us. That's a resource God's given us. He's given you a car to drive to go visit someone who's sick to go visit someone and share the gospel, to pray with someone. There's resources he's given us, and we want to use wisely, effectively, and be good stewards of the resources he's given us, but we need to be careful to trust in the power of the Word of God and not trust in props or programs. Does that make sense? Not trust in props or programs. Not that programs in and of themselves are wrong. Some programs are good. And programs complementary to 
working within the power of the gospel, not substituting or watering down the word of God, programs can be effective. But when programs overtake the gospel and the word of God, now you've got a problem. Now you've got a program, but no power. Jesus said in John 15, 5, for without me, you can do nothing. Isn't it sad there, the church of Laodicea? Jesus is where? Outside the church. He's standing at the outside door knocking, saying, is anyone in there? Because I'm actually out here. You guys got rid of the Bible and now are doing 15-minute messages on sweet nothingness. You're doing short little sermonettes that actually are the power of positive thinking. By the way, if you want that, you don't need to go to church. Just turn on any number of things. You can read that in a business magazine, the power of positive thinking, right? God doesn't call us to those things. He sent the disciples not with the methods of man, not even with their own anything. Jesus said, now you're taking nothing but my power, my authority, my words, my gospel. I believe many Christians, I believe many churches, I believe many Christian organizations at one time relied fully on the word of God and the spirit of God. At one time. But over time, and here's the thing, here's the kicker. But over time and after, many times after genuine fruit, they substituted or began to trust in education, staff, church consultants, leadership manuals, advertising, essentially the wisdom of man. And it happens to individuals, happens to organizations, happens to churches, happens to all kinds of things. And that's why you can see decisions that sometimes you'll say, did they just say what? They're going to change their policy to what? Why? Because they left the Word of God. There was a time that they were trusting in the Word of God. But that's not going to help. That's not going to work with people. By the way, when you really find somebody and the Holy Spirit's prepared them, you know the only thing that works is the Word of God. Everything else, finally, when you say it, you're actually blown away. You're actually a little bit, a little bit surprised. You're like, that verse worked? I've said that a hundred times, and no one, and you got convicted by that because that's the only thing that actually works. And you can achieve things that outwardly look impressive by taking with you a bunch of stuff. You might even top the contemporary Christian charts. You might have a bestseller that sells millions of books. You might be on the cover of both Christian and secular magazines. And yet, you can have none of the power and none of the life-changing word that 12 men with dusty feet took with them. Jesus, where's the marketing plan? You're going to have a traveling concert to go with us? Where is all the, where's all the stuff that's going to work? Where is all the stuff that we need? Jesus said, I gave you power and authority in the gospel. What else do you need? Where are we going to stay? There'll be someone, someone there that I will have prepared will open up their house for you. Everything will be taken care of. You just simply go and do it. You know, Jesus warned specifically in his letter in the book of Revelation. He learned, I, I mentioned Laodicea. But in his letter to the church of Sardis there in Revelation chapter 3, verse 1, how can we forget the words that he writes to that seemingly busting at the seams, incredibly successful church where he says these sobering words... I know your works, that you have a name, that you're alive, but you're dead. Corpse is the actual meaning word. He says, you have a reputation that everyone thinks you are the most dynamic, alive place. You're the center of the church universe. And Jesus says, I know your works from heaven. You're dead as a doornail. You're busting at the seams. You've got eight services. You've got all this stuff going on, and you're dead. Now, that's not my indictment. That's Jesus's. Now, by the way, this is not an indictment against large... I got saved at Calvary Fort Lauderdale when I was watching their worship service. They're a huge church that God is blessing, 239 people baptized. But no, no two... You can look at two BMWs, and the one that doesn't have an engine inside of it, I trust you, is a lot different than the one that does. 
right? On the outside, they look the same. So God is the one that, this is not a judgment of big church versus small church. The average church in America is 85 people. 85 people is the average church. But large, small isn't the issue. It is the power of the gospel being taught, being walked, being brought to a lost and dying world. If we start to substitute other things, we now have taken all these other things with us. And this is a warning and an encouragement not to do that. But he said to them, take nothing. Just go and preach the kingdom of God. Preach the gospel. We have to continually go back to the cross and remind people that we're saved from something. Amen? We're not saved to have a great life. Jesus didn't say that. He said, in this world, you're going to have trouble and tribulation. But be of good cheer. I've come overcome the world. You're going to have difficulties. You're not saved from difficulties. You're saved from the wrath to come. And we don't preach the full gospel anymore. We don't preach that there is a hell to come if we stay in our sins. And we don't preach that a risen Savior bled and died for humanity. And Jesus says, the whole council, go preach the kingdom of God. You must be born again. John chapter 3. This is what we have to take with us. That's why we go verse by verse through the Bible. I don't want to stray from the power. How about you? It's our only hope, especially in the days in which we live. If you and I want to stay empowered with the Holy Spirit of God, if you want the Spirit of God go, go both going before you and filling you, we have to, I'll say it again, we have to stay in prayer. We have to confess sins, not wait a month. Confess them today. Amen? Yeah, and by the way, you're going to have to do that every day because we blow it all the time. Some of you might actually have to pray confessing more than once a day, like me, right? But we confess it, stay in the power of God, remove those sins from our lives, and keep the Word of God on our lips. I was talking to our deacons recently about meditating on the Word. You know, in Psalm 119, the word meditate is six times, largest book of the Bible, the largest chapter of the Bible, meditate. Remind yourself of what Christ has done for you. And when it's on your heart, when you talk to somebody, it'll come out of your mouth. Isn't that great? That's why cursing comes out of the mouth of the unsaved person. They don't have the Spirit of God in the heart, so what comes out is the flesh. The longer we walk with the Lord and we walk in His Word, then His Word comes out and we're going to be a witness wherever we go. Let's look at the engagement the engagement, and I'm only looking at one verse for that, verse 4. Whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. How do we get a lot out of that verse? Well, it's actually that verse plus a little bit above it, a little bit below it, because we're talking about Jesus is not only sending us out with a message, but we have to engage people with that message. We're told to go and share. And when we go and share, we're going to have to go to people. And we're going to have to go where people actually are. That see, God, it was never God's plan that we would actually build a monastery on the top of the Swiss Alps and hang out there. Yeah, they're beautiful places. But that's never been God's plan. Here's what I want you to do, church. Find a really quiet place, tucked away out in the middle of nowhere, and stay there the rest of your life. How in the world... Are we going to reach the world doing that? And that God's plan was to go and meet people where they're at. This all can't be done through television and radio. You can't do all this through television and radio. And now the internet. Granted, those mediums do reach people. I, you know, Pastor Mark Ramirez at Fredericksburg, he's got a ton of the Calvary Chapel pastors on the radio. Troy and Lynchburg has a ton of them on the radio. Uh, the radio, TV, those mediums are great. And, and matter of fact, in Muslim-speaking countries where no Christians get in, thank the Lord for satellite communication that is bringing the gospel in, in Farsi and in different languages, in Hindi and parts of India. Yes, God is using it, and that's a great thing, and I'm thankful for it. But those things, those mediums, are, uh, they're powerful when God's using them, but they're complementary to us as disciples going in and actually touching people, holding people's hand directly. Those things are complementary. They don't replace, they augment what God is doing. I think about the disciples here, though, as they're sent to engage. He said, all right, you go to these towns, 
And you go and share and preach the gospel, bring the kingdom of God, and whatever house you enter, stay there. They'll have to be thinking, how will we know when we're even going to get to enter a house? What are we going to do when we get to the town? I don't know exactly what they said. I wonder what they used as their opening greeting when they went into a town. What did they actually say to kind of break the ice? Get the ball rolling. You, you, ever, you ever think like, you're, you're thinking you're, you meet someone and, they, and you could tell you've got a God moment opportunity with them. And you're having the same thoughts I'm having. How do I inject Christ into this conversation? When do I do it? How can I pull this off? Now, that's a good conversation to have. First have it, but then just make sure that's a prayer conversation. Lord, how do you want me to do this? And God will give you the wisdom. You can actually have, isn't it great that you can actually have a conversation with God in your mind while you're talking to someone? God, this person is going to be really, really difficult, I can tell. Now, you're not telling them that. You're just having that conversation with the Lord. And to them, you're like, you are a you're fantastic. This is going to be... You know. God, you're saying, I don't know how in the world I'm going to do this. But I suspect they might have done something like this when they went into these towns. This, this should sound pretty powerful. They come into a town. They say, we are here. I'm John. This is Peter. Or actually, Peter would do the speaking. I'm Peter. This is John. Peter would do the speaking. We're here to represent the ministry of Jesus of Nazareth. Many people all across the region have heard of Jesus of Nazareth. Even Herod, as we know from the bottom of the, of the uh, verses 8 and 9 there. I'm here to represent the ministry of Jesus. Or we're here to represent the ministry of Jesus. If there's anyone here that wants to be forgiven of their sins, set free from demons, or healed... We're here to help. What a message. That is the essence of what they came to do. Isn't that amazing? That you talk, now, if they can actually back that up, you talk about power. I'm here to pontificate about all the books I've written. You know, I've got 10 on the New York Times bestseller. How to have a great, successful life. That's not what they said. We have a very simple message. We've been sent by our master, Jesus of Nazareth. If anyone here wants to be forgiven of sins, set free from demons, or healed, we're here to help. And as some people said, we've been waiting for you. Isn't that great? Some people said, we've been waiting for you. We have a house you can stay in. Please heal our house first, and when you're done, stay here because mom has had sickness for years. You really can heal her? We've been given the authority to do it. We don't know how this works. Just bring her on out. In the name of Jesus, be healed. Done. Some people experienced all of it. The forgiveness of sins. Demons were cast out and saved in the same household. What a message. You would think that that would always be good news, wouldn't you? But it's not. It's not always good news to everyone. Isn't that amazing? Well, I was just as blinded. It wasn't always good news to me when God was reaching out to me for years and people inviting me. Uh, and I, you know, I remember someone in my family said, you should go to, when I was living in Miami, you should go to church. I was unsaved. I said, there's no Christians in Miami. I said that. Can you believe I said that? There's many Christians in Miami. But I didn't think there were any because I was living where all the non-Christians were. So I assumed everyone was like me, living for the flesh and the lust of the world. God opened my eyes and showed me that there was lots of people inviting me. You could have been set free, Tim, five years earlier, but you chose to stay there. Not everyone will receive it as good news. You know, one of Jesus' name is the Rock of Offense. Odd name, huh? One of his names is the rock of offense. Do you know Jesus is offensive to many? But he's sweet, fresh water to many too. At the end of the age, he'll either be fresh water or a grinding rock to everyone. Right now, we have the opportunity to come to him, the rock of our salvation, 
But many people, their response is, how dare you think we need your help? A couple of fishermen. You can't even back up what you're saying. Now they could, but not be, some people aren't going to believe it. They aren't going to believe that you and I, hey, you look just like me. How could you bring a message that actually could help me? When you're no better, you, you, uh, you're not even as in shape as I am. You're not as smart as I am. I have three degrees. You have none. All these different things that people, their conceptions, like, you can't bring me something. And you say, I, I can't, but the Lord, this message is for you, for the richest, for the poorest, for the most healthy, for the least healthy, everyone. Many people are, how, how dare you think I need, I'm happy as I am. I love my gods or my stuff that I already have, more than what you're bringing. These things offer me more attraction. But remember, it should be Christ and the gospel that offends, not us. Amen? Be careful that it's Christ and the gospel that offends. You and I should not be offensive. We should be loving. We should be tender. We should be sharing the truth and love. Eric Liddell, remember he was the Scottish athlete. You ever seen Chariots of Fire? That was him, Eric Liddell. He went on to be a missionary in China, gave up the opportunity uh, to be you know, a world-famous career of an athlete, gave all that up to go and serve. But he said this, he said, we are all missionaries. Wherever we go, we either bring people near to Christ or we repel them from Christ. Sobering, huh? We either bring them nearer or we repel them farther away. We need to be very, very led by the Spirit and let Christ be the offense, not you and I, not be bulls in a china shop which I had been known to be at times in my life. Paul said he was all things to all people that he might by some means win some. Right? It's good. If God's given you a business background and you can reach people there, do it. If God gives you a like for sports and you can read other, reach other, invite your neighbor over to watch a game, do it. If God's given you some interest that other people, you can have... Uh, we have a pastor up in Northern Virginia. Uh, his son rides bikes all over the place. Like he doesn't own a car. He takes the metro everywhere. Because he rides bikes everywhere, he's been given, like he's been really well accepted by, I didn't know there was this, there's the biking community, like, like biker, not like motor, like not Harley bikers, but bikes like, you know, that you pedal with your feet bikers that like deliver uh, corporate mail and all that kind of stuff. So they see him ride everywhere. So he has an in with them and he's able to share Christ with them. Use the means and the entry points that God has given us. Let me give you some practical advice I received in the mid-90s um, from my pastor uh, on how we should engage. How we should engage. You can write this down. Use this little acronym, TACT. T-A-C-T, TACT. I still remember it. Still have it written in my own Bible. TACT. The first one is timing. And I've witnessed to college kids on college campuses. I will ask them, hey, do you have a class coming up in the next 10 minutes? If they say yes, then I want to be so sensitive to their time on something. Say, hey, uh, I'd love to talk to you about something, but if you've got a class to run to, I don't want to be obtrusive to that. And so use tact. Understand the timing that you have. Use appearance. You need to look. Well, you don't want to look holier than thou, but you also want to uh, represent Christ in a good way. For women, modest apparel. For men, you know, you, we just want to be not a distraction. That if it's all about us, and all about how, and it's, we should be understated. Appearance matters. Courtesy. We, Christians should be the most courteous people. Listen, don't butt into every 10 seconds. Be courteous. And the last is truth. If we don't come with the truth, what are we coming with anyway, right? It has to be the Word of God. Another uh, acronym is THINK. That's TACT. Another one is THINK. And it starts with truth. We start with the truth. When it actually comes to what we're going to say, it has to be the truth. It has to be the Word of God. Uh, you, you have to actually tell people, if they, you know, you tell them there really is a hell. You can't, well, I, I'm not going to tell them there's hell. I'll lose them. There really is. They really are a sinner. You, are, do you mean to tell me that I'm a sinner? Well, no, I'm not telling you that. But the Lord is saying it. But I want to say that kindly. 
the truth, uh, think this acronym, H is helpful. Be helpful. You know, when the disciples came, you know, they actually, they actually came also to heal people, right? When we go and do things like Hilliard House or Bonaire and we bring Doritos and things like that, it lets them know that we're not only there to bring them the truth, but actually we'll, we'll help you too. We'll give you counsel. Inspired. I. Inspired. Inspired Word of God will inspire and move through us. And is necessary. Necessary. You need, the, you need the wisdom of the Spirit on what to say, what's necessary, and what is unnecessary. Because sometimes we can actually say things that are unnecessary. And Lord, keep me on point that I say the things that are necessary here. And then lastly, K for kind. Again, kindness, courtesy, they go hand to hand. That's how we should engage. Timing, appearance, courtesy, and truth. Truth, helpful, inspired, necessary, kind. These things are how we should engage. Who should we engage with? Well, I said to go to these towns. Just go, fan out, go to these towns. Who should we engage with? Anyone. Everyone. And someone specific. Anyone. Everyone. And someone specific. God will determine who the specific is. He'll put specific people in our lives. We need to start with those who we know. And we just keep going outwardly. Uh, continually asking the Holy Spirit, always asking the Holy Spirit, give me wisdom. Give me help. Give me courage, because we all lack courage. Uh, many of us will do things like an ice bucket challenge way faster than we'll actually open our mouth and witness. We'll do 150 ice bucket challenges. Which, by the way, when it's really hot, that feels good, actually. But anyway. Right? We'll do anything. Oh, uh, eat a whole can of nails. All right, I'll do it. Go tell this, go invite this person to church. Oh, no, I could never do that. All right, eat a plate of dirt. Oh, I'll do it, I'll do it. I'll, challenge me to anything. I challenge you to go witness that person. Oh, no. You, the boldest people I know are ones that will share their faith. I'm not all that impressed if you eat a whole bag of worms. That's just dumb to me. But if you want to do it, you can do it. I don't get it. I don't get why people... Uh, I, I get why teenagers think that's really cool, but I don't get why adults think it's really cool. But, you know, the Bible says we put away childish things. I'm like, I don't need to impress you by eating worms. But I do need to share my faith, and so do you. We need, those are things that we need, we need courage. We need, the apostles prayed for boldness. D.L. Moody said this, now thinking about who we engage with, he said, I do not know anything that would wake up Chicago, think Richmond. I do not know anything that would wake up Chicago better than for every man and woman who lives and loves him to begin to talk about him to their friends and just to tell them what he has done for you. You've got a circle of friends, go and tell them of him. That's what D.L. Moody said, would wake up Chicago and would wake up Los Angeles, and wake up Richmond. It's still true. Just to go and tell what Christ has done for you, this is the gospel that saved me, this is the gospel that I bring to you. Luke 8, 16, we saw it just a couple weeks. No one who's lit a lamp covers it with a vessel, puts it under a bed. Right? We let the light shine. We tell, hey, this is the light that I've been given. I want to give it to you. How should we engage? Using tact. Who should we engage with? Anyone, everyone, and someone specific. Where should we engage? Where should we engage? Everywhere and somewhere specific. Be open to God's timing, though. You know, he might someday call you like he did Lee and Zach to India, but he's not going to call you to India until you actually share in Chesterfield County. Amen? You have to be sharing right now where you're at. Use the places God's already given you, the workplace you're at. Uh, even praying over your meal is something a lot of people don't do, and it's a good witness. I mean, start with the things that God's given you. Do those things, and God will expand the opportunities, and he'll actually give us increased boldness. If we walk in the little thing, he who is faithful in little becomes faithful what? In much. If we don't do the little things, we won't do the bigger thing. We won't step into villages until we've actually stepped outside 
the house. He said in Mark 16, 15, he said to them, go into all the world. Ultimately, God wants all of his church to fan out. We need to close here with the end results. I only have a couple of points to make here. Uh, and and I, I'm not taking a lot of time on this study of, of Herod, um, but I do incorporate that into these end results, and I'll show you why. Because they went, it says in verse 6, they departed and they went through the towns preaching the gospel, healing everywhere. But back in verse 5, it said that Jesus told them, and whoever will not receive you, go out of that city and shake off the very dust of your feet as a testimony against them. They wouldn't be received by everyone. Herod did not receive John the Baptist's witness, did he? Who did John the Baptist preach of? Christ. The people, some received Christ, some didn't receive Christ. But when we look at the end result, what we're told to do, remember that Jesus says, I give you all power and authority. The results belong to him. What does success look like to God? That's all... That's almost a, once you think about that, like, wow, what does success look like to God? Well, Noah preached for a hundred years and couldn't get anyone to repent. He couldn't get anyone to join his tiny little church of the family of Noah, right? No one joined the church. No one got saved. No one repented. Peter preaches. 3,000 get saved in one moment, right? What does success look like to God? On God's end, everything God does is perfect. Everything God does is perfect. Everything God does is successful on his end. As he looks at our lives, success to God, as he looks at us, is did we do what he asked us to do? That's what success looks like to God. He, you know, do you, how many of you think that Noah and Peter probably are getting a pretty equal reward in heaven? Or God's saying, Noah, <laughs> I don't know what you did wrong, but you had no converts. Granted, you had your family get on the boat. That's pretty low. I was expecting a mega church. You didn't get that. Yeah, you built a building, but you only put, you've had a lot of animals on it, but not many people, Right? You're great in, in convincing animals to get on the boat. You couldn't do so well convincing people to get on the boat. No. We're all living today because of Noah. See, success is measured on a, in eternity's view, right? We're alive today because of Noah, even though you and I, you know, Noah may get credit for millions of souls. How about that? Whereas everyone looking at it would say, not a success at all. God's definition of success is who obeyed my commandment? Because he owns the end result. Some will see 20-fold. Some will see 60-fold. Some will see 100-fold. That's not our concern. Success is what we did. Zechariah 4.10, I love this verse, for who has despised the day of small things? Not God. Only we despise small things. Only we think small. Jesus looked at the woman who gave two mites and said she gave more than every single person here. Everyone else was impressed by, oh, look at, uh, look at the guy with a barrel of gold. And Jesus said, big deal, he has 10 more barrels at home. Right? Jesus was unimpressed with numbers. He said, just go and share. Some cities will receive you, some won't. Dust off your feet and move on, keep praying for them, because the wrath of God will come upon them if they don't repent. The end result, Herod. John said, look, you're in sin. That didn't go over well for John, did it? He lost his head. He died young. But Jesus said, hey, if you think he was a failure because he died young, you're wrong. No man ever born a woman is greater than John. Right? Do you notice how God measures results, how man measures results? John, if you'd have played your cards right, you could have planted churches all over, but you had to go and open your big mouth to Herod and tell him he was in sin. John says, but that's what I was told to do. Well, look what it got you. Yeah, I'm in the presence of God. I'm happy. That's what John's response would be. End results, you and I just go 
and share. But what if they don't listen? Well, Jesus said in John 6, 44, this can make you feel better when people don't respond. No one can come unto me unless the Father who has sent me draws them. Right? When I share the faith with someone and they don't come to the Lord, I'm saying, Lord, I, I know you're drawing them, but in your time, I let Dr. Hertz down in Hampton says they're pre-believers. It's when you bring them. Amen? He owns the results. And I love this end result that we're going to see maybe in our lifetime, but if we don't, maybe our kids or grandkids. Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Isn't that amazing? God owns the final result too. Not just the end results individually, but the final results. Let's close in prayer as the worship team comes up. Before we close in worship, which was beautiful before and I have no doubt will be as we come to a close, I want to ask again, and I ask this often, but I don't ever know who's in the room. Only the Holy Spirit knows. If there's anyone here and you say, you know, when you ask that question, talking as if I was putting myself in the shoes of the apostles, the disciples, they come into that town and they ask a simple question, and, I, and I'm asking a simple it's actually three questions that, that, that I think, based on what Jesus told them to do, I believe they presented it exactly the way he, he presented it to them. I believe they just went out and said, this is what he told us we would be doing. Does anyone here want forgiveness of sins, to have demons cast out, or to be healed? Now, there's no one in this room that can do that for you. I can't cast out demons. I can't save your soul. And I cannot heal you physically, and neither can anyone else in this room. But there's one in my heart and in the hearts of those that are saved that can do exactly that. And the first and foremost, the primary thing above everything else for the Lord is he did send out to authenticate the witness. But today we're not called, I'm not called to go and heal people. I'm called to pray over people that they would be healed. But I'm called to do one simple thing and to ask, do you want to be forgiven of sin? Do you want eternal life? And if you say, I, I'm not ready, if the Lord would call me and my life were to end as many people have died just since we've been starting this service, thousands around the world slipped into eternity. If there's anyone here that says, I, no, I, I'm not ready to meet God, but I would love to be forgiven of sin. And with our heads bowed, just stand right where you're at. Don't worry about what anyone else around you thinks. When I walked forward at Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale, <laughs> I was one of the last groups of people to walk forward. I ignored the altar call the first three times. But my heart was pounding like you would not believe because I knew God was saying, I'm calling you by name. And those of you who know my whole testament, it was a miracle that God got me there that morning. It was an absolute miracle. Stunning as I look back how God did it. But if there's anyone here, and God's brought you here today for this one simple message, Jesus is asking the question, not me, because do you want to be forgiven? Do you want to live with me forever in heaven? Because you may not be alive 10 years from now or 10 months from now. Just stand right where you're at. Don't worry about what anyone thinks. Actually, they'll be rejoicing with you. Nobody will be. Anyone else? I pray with these. Is there anyone else? And again, I, I was one of the foolish ones that waited. But God, he's patient, isn't he? He's very patient. Anyone else? Never forget. There I was in Calvary, Fort Lauderdale. We were about, pastor was about to pray, and some guy yelled from the back, wait for me. place just erupted and clapping because Jesus says 
course I'm going to wait for you. Anyone else before we pray with these two understanding? I'm going to pray, and then whether you pray in your heart or out loud, it's up to you. No problem either way. God hears you. But just pray and repeat, and from your heart, the Bible says it's with confession of the mouth and belief in the heart, thou shalt be saved. It's an amazing transaction that only God can make. He's the only one that makes the transaction salvation of genuine conversion. So I'm going to pray, and and you just from your own heart. I believe most people, God saves them as soon as they stand. Because it's the heart level he looks at. But just pray with me. Dear Jesus, thank you for coming. Thank you for dying for my sins. Please cleanse me and forgive me of all unrighteousness. Wash me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I want to live with you forever in heaven. Lord, I commit to you my life. I choose, Lord Jesus, to follow you all the days of my life. And help me now to live as your your child, representing you in this world. It's in Jesus' name.